You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. I'm not a Satan worshiper. I am Satan. And that's the witch in you. My inner witch isn't so inner. We do have a cauldron that we unearth, howling at the moon. It's like we're howling at the moon when the moon comes out. And I had to keep reminding myself, it's all pretend. It's, it, it's sort of like the nipples in a burlesque show. It's like the slow reveal. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have such a great guest. I cannot wait to tell you who it is. Michelle Gomez is a riveting Scottish actor who first started turning heads for her comedy roles in series including The Book Group, Green Wing, and Bad Education before her international breakout moment in 2014 when she started playing Missy on the landmark British sci-fi series Doctor Who. I first started enjoying her work as an avid viewer of her Netflix series Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which premiered in 2018 and which just kicked off its fourth and final season. You can also see her on the new HBO Max series, The Flight Attendant, which premiered on Thanksgiving and is getting so much buzz. She is great, and I cannot wait to talk to her. Welcome, Michelle, to our show. Yay! Thank you so much. Hello. Good to be here. I have to tell you, I have been looking forward to hearing your amazing accent all day. (laughs) (laughs) What accent? (laughs) Right? (laughs) You, Michelle, are all over our TVs right now, both in The Flight Attendant on HBO Max and on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Living for them both. Yeah, I, (laughs) I enjoy your work on these shows so much, but please tell us, what has your journey been like over your past 30 years in show business before you became the Madam Satan we all know and love today? <laughs> um, well, it was it's it was quite a ride. Um, you know, I, I started in Glasgow in Scotland in my hometown. And I, I remember I was like, I guess, like maybe 12 years old. I was really young when I, I kind of, you know, wanted to be an actor. And um, I was obsessed with Diana Ross. And I am blessed with large hair, as is Diana. And and there was just this skinny little white-ass girl in Glasgow, you know, who just wanted to be one of the, uh, you know, Supremes. And um, so I was like, I started off, like, completely deluded. Um, and, um, and, and I just, I guess that, uh, actually, that delusion is kind of taking me through my career. Um, um, so... Yeah, I just it's it's kind of like I can't quite believe where I'm. You know, now I'm living in New York, and um, I just it feels like I'm living in a sort of parallel universe. So there was a lot of rejection along the way. There was a lot of mistakes, um, and thankfully I learned from most of them. So yeah, it was um, it was a funky old ride. <laughs> I feel like the first time I saw you. It was in um, the book group that was, it sort of had like a cult following as, as right. streaming services started to mm-hmm. pick up. And then I know that um, you really made a splash on Doctor Who. Would you say that was sort of like the turning point in your career? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. You know, I did, I did a lot of really dodgy um, theater, a lot of uh, kind of like, um, um, I guess you call it experimental performance um, mm-hmm. productions. Um, I, don't ask me what they were about. I didn't know then, and I still don't know today. Um, but uh, it meant that I, you know, met a lot of wonderful people along the way. And um, I was actually doing a play at the Edinburgh Festival. It was Abandonment by Kate Atkinson. And I was playing a, a ghost. I was playing, It was a very serious role. I took myself quite seriously back then. And um, the director, showrunner, writer of the book group um, wanted to meet me afterwards. 
And she said, that was one of the funniest performances I've ever seen. <laughs> Would you like to be in the book group? And I was, of course, I was so offended because, you know, this was my, I was, I was in my sort of, I'm a classical actress phase of my life. And then it turned out, oh, I'm actually, oh, okay. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more uh, well-suited to comedy. Um, and it's sort of the, then the book group kind of, I think for me, the turning point in my career because um, that was really the first um, significant television role I, I played in was was the book group, um, and then it was it was on to other things uh, after that. I know I said in the intro, I primarily know you from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix because I am obsessed with that show. Right. Um, <laughs> for, for those, <laughs> it's such a good show. For our listeners not familiar with it, I'm just gonna give give the quick rundown. The show is based on the Sabrina the Teenage Witch comic book series, which centers on a girl who is constantly trying to balance her life as a high school cheerleader with her secret life as a witch from a powerful supernatural family. On the show, you play the apocryphal original woman Lilith, who is also known on the show as Madam Satan because she's the devil's sensual companion. <laughs> I'm the mother of demons, the dawn of doom, Satan's concubine. I'm Lilith, dear boy, first wife to Adam, saved from despair by a fallen angel. I call myself Madam Satan. And your alter ego in the show is Sabrina's favorite Baxter High teacher, Ms. Wardwell, who is very shy and reserved before she becomes possessed by Madam Satan. Yes. <laughs> so this character, Madam Satan, has deep roots before the show started, both in biblical texts and also way back, like in comic books, all the way back in pep comics in the 1940s, there was a similar character to yours that was introduced as a former lover of Sabrina's father all the way back in the day. I'm so curious about how much you researched and relied on the historical legacy of this character to build your performance and how much just came from the script and your creative imagination and your own inner evil. Oh, my own inner evil. God, God love her. She's, she's a great gal. Um, <laughs> um, so basically when I came to the, to the show, um, when, when it um, was first, um, um, you know, brought to me um I I only got a, a tiny uh, morsel of what Wardwell slash Madam Satan was all about um and that's because a lot of the time when you're going up for these shows you don't get the full script you just get you know a, few, a couple of scenes and you go in and you meet for it and then you know you never you never hear from them again right well these scenes for me um uh, just grabbed me immediately and so much so I sort of became determined that you know I was they needn't they, they need to look no further I was there mm -hmm. to solve their problem I was Madam Satan <laughs> and um and so I didn't I really didn't know you know really I didn't I didn't know the backstory I didn't I didn't know who she was and who she had been until you know we were well into the filming of it um, I think it's different in, in television. That's certainly the world I was coming from because I'd worked and I'd been in the theatre by then probably for like 20 years. And so, you know, I was used to really digging deep and doing my research and, and understanding who that person was, you know, even when they weren't speaking, just everything about them, every every reason for their, their you know, action, right? And then, you know, coming into um, American television, it's very different, Um you, you don't, as the actor, uh, you don't get that much to go on, right? So you have to constantly, you're filling in the blanks and you're constantly auditioning for your role. And so it, it certainly keeps you on your toes. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, Every episode, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it this this episode. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I can't believe that hung on to the bitter end, right?" Um, but but I really, you know, and it, and also it was such a huge cast, 
And Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, our showrunner, um, the the great, you know, the, the mind behind this, all of this, you know, he just fell in love with each and every one of us and he couldn't get rid of any of us. So we ended up with this gigantic cast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm so curious, how interested were you in the occult before making this show? Like, did you have to learn to love it or was it already no. in you? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I was, uh, listen, I am a hired gun. I, I honestly, I literally, I'm going to pop that little mystical bubble now. I just learn my lines and I turn up, I say them and I go. I'll hope that whoever I'm playing with is a far better actor than I am because then that'll make me work a little harder and then it's lunch. (laughs) Craft service. The idea of there being any kind of witchy business out there scares the living deal. I cannot watch a scary film. I I, I, I can barely watch Sabrina. It scared the shit out of me that first episode. And then they had to, you know, we have to sit there and watch it with others, you know, in screenings and things. And I, you can, you know, Lucy, I would sit next to Lucy Davis and her leg would be bruised. And, And I had to keep reminding myself, it's all pretend. I, I, if you're asking me if I, you know, if I'm a believer, <laughs> um, there's definitely something out there that's a lot more powerful than I am for sure. And I certainly wouldn't go walking the woods on my own after midnight. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I, and I live in a very old house. It was built in 1865 and it doesn't do me any favors to dwell on the fact that, you know, there's been a little bit of action in this house along the way, right? For sure, right? I mean, I, I have in this property found a few curious objects, but, but, but we do have a cauldron that we unearthed uh, about a month ago. It was and in I, the ground? Yeah, and I built um, uh, like a, a, a sort of... Um, uh, like a little fort. I built it out of like hundreds of, of uh, sticks, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sticks that that my that the kids and I and the family blah gathered and and unearthed this cauldron and put little tiki torches up and we've sort of got this cool little um, I see a howling at the moon. It's like we're howling at the moon when the moon comes out at night. It's all it's all see, quite lovely. You got the witch in you. It's just oh, a tiny bit of energy. I can do that shit, but, um, <laughs> but, but when we first, but that's because you got kids and you've got to be all. Ooh. Yeah, but I mean, um, it's just the moon energy is uh, energy you can't deny. I think you can't. I'm not denying that. And that's the witch in you. And and when we bought this place, right, and and we were trying to you know get people to you know help us with this, that, and the next thing, and and we got a cleaner. And she turned up for the first couple of weeks and she did a great job and I've never had a cleaner and this is like so kind of bougie of me and I was like, this is amazing. But I was kept trying to help her. She's like, I've got it. And I was trying to, and then she disappeared. Like what? she just completely disappeared. I came home and there was washing, uh, hanging out of the washing dish, uh, washing machine. There was beds that were half made. There was a, a, a vacuum cleaner that was still running. What? And I was like, what the, what, Jesus, what happened here? She didn't respond to my texts. She didn't answer my calls. This was bizarre, right? This woman just disappeared. You're giving me a heart attack. No, listen, listen to this, right? So weeks went by and I, I couldn't, I couldn't raise this woman. I didn't know she just disappeared, right? And then one day I was out on a walk with my wee dog, Frank, and I thought, I'll just give this woman a call. And I caught her unawares. She answered the phone not thinking and she said oh it was sort of shocked to hear my voice and I said is everything okay like you know it just seemed like something happened like like you rushed out the house she said no I don't actually clean your house but one of my girls cleans your house and she uh had a had some bad news about her father and she had to leave immediately and I was like oh that's terrible and I said will she be coming back she said no he's he's terminal I said well I don't want her to lose her job because her father's sick I will hold the position open for her and when there's a moment that she feels she'd like to come back I don't want her to lose her job anyway a month went by and I'm not going to call her and say did your dad die yet and he yeah, yeah. wash the floor and um, I just left it and then a couple of months later my friend comes around and she said oh Michelle I know what happened to your cleaner 
She said, do you have something in the house, Michelle? I said, what do you mean? She said, is there something in the house, like maybe with your name on it, that's kind of like maybe a needlepoint or something? And I went, oh, actually, there was a, a cushion that my seamstress on Madam Satan had needlepointed Madam Satan on a cushion. <laughs> no. Not only that, we had when we bought this house, we had just closed uh, on our first season of Sabrina. It was Christmas. We were getting lots of gifts, and and some of the crew gave me tarot cards with my face on it and Madam Satan <laughs> and blah. And this wee woman, a God fearing woman, she thought that I was a Satan worshiper, and she ran away. She ran away. So oh. I I then said I need that woman's no I need that woman's address. I'm going to go up to her house. I'm going to say you forgot your broom. I'm not a Satan worshiper. I am I Satan. Am Satan. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only. But I didn't. I didn't have the heart. Do you guys get dressed in the morning? Oh, I do. oh hell yeah! I've got busy days, man. I've had a busy pando. This has been a busy old pando for me. Well, tell me about it. Let's let's take a, a brief detour again and tell me about your panda. Oh, you know, I've I've for somebody that just lived on um, strawberry milk and Snickers bars, right? <laughs> I couldn't cook. I couldn't do any of that. That's that's basically what I did. And now, like flash, you know, fast forward to Pando. I'm baking. I'm gardening. I I mean, this summer, no matter who you were, you would go home with two heads of lettuce. I mean. Nice. I don't know who, I don't know how that happened, but I basically lent into it, right? And I was like, okay, I'm in the country. There's lots of green stuff. Let's just, you know, find some sanity in the woods and, and nature. And, um, you know, I kept busy. And when you've got kids and you've got a family, it's just, you just got to keep, you just got to bring your A game. So I did that. And then I wrote and directed and appeared in my own movie so I did that and then I finished flight attendant did that you know it was just like I just I've I've just kept busy I haven't you know just sat and looked at the floor because I don't like when you it's the kid thing like with kids you can't do that you just gotta get up and make a day and um so Harry was my sanity was my savior oh so sweet I'm gonna ask you one more uh, Sabrina question that I promise I'll ask you about other <laughs> aspects of your life and career. Mm. But for me, every day is Halloween. And I love how many different occult traditions and mythologies are explored and presented so opulently mm-hmm. on Sabrina. But I know that there are others, especially some folks who actually practice witchcraft personally, who feel like maybe the show trivializes their beliefs or mm-hmm. who might feel like the way the show very fancifully depicts the practices of dark ritual magic is somehow dangerous or misguided. I'm wondering, besides your house cleaner who ran screaming from your home, have you ever received any feedback like this personally, either from Christians or from pagans? And what has your response been? Uh, I mean, I think there was a big uproar about us um, using the, you know, our, statue. Our, the statue, you know, it was like the devil worshippers were really, you know, very but, you offended know, really, by that. that. And you're like, really? Okay. But then those are the Satanists and the Satanists are really just there to protect abortion rights, I feel. And, <laughs> And I think they were just trying to get attention to their issue. Maybe. But, you know, they almost shut you guys down, which I was pissed off about. I love the Satanists because I love all the abortion work they do. Right. But I was pissed they almost shut you guys down. I was really jacked about that. No, I don't think they almost shut us down. I think they, um, they sued you guys for a shitload of money. Yeah, but they didn't get any. I mean, I don't, yeah, you know, I, I, was I, mad. I don't, I was like, come on guys, calm down. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't, I, I mean, I think we probably, um, did them a favor in, in a way. I mean, I think like you say, you know, we, um, gave them a little bit of, um, uh, um, exposure, I suppose that they hadn't had before. Mm-hmm, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I never, guess we should never a bad thing. The are just like, 
it's a not really a religion organization so much as an organization that combats um, the constitution freedom of religion. So whenever anybody puts a religious statue, the Satanists come up and they put the Baphomet in order to show, like, if you're going to be putting the uh, whatever religious thing, we can also put our Baphomet statue because we both have freedom of religion. Right. And then that makes the Christians get so bugged out mm-hmm. that they take their statues down. And that is part of – and they also do a lot of work for uh, freedom of choice. Right. I love Satanist 110. All right. Now, it was announced that the fourth season of the show, which just premiered, will be the last one, which made me very sad, but I understand. Uh, What has it been like saying goodbye to this dark chapter of your career now when you can't gather in person with that huge cast to celebrate, but also at the same time, more fans than ever have time to actually gather at home and watch it and celebrate your work? How do you feel about the show ending? Um, you know, it, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was really kind of difficult because, um, we, none of us thought it was when we were saying goodbye, um, in, I think it was February when we wrapped on season four and we didn't think we were saying goodbye. Right. Mm. We, we, we thought we were coming back. Right. Um, and then COVID hit and lockdown hit and you know it's a big big show uh and it's and it's expensive and you know we're all um we've all scattered to you know different corners of the globe by then and and I think it just you know it, they had to just let it go and um so I think we we're all kind of shocked there for a minute um and I had gone straight from Sabrina on the Friday we wrapped to the Saturday I flew back to New York. Sunday I had the day off and then I started the flight attendant on Monday. And so I was completely distracted uh, and sort of was like, okay, tick that box and then we'll get back to Vancouver in October, right? Because like we even left all of our stuff there because, you know, we lived there for two years. Um, And so, you know, we had apartments there, we had all our shit there we had you know like we had a big part of our lives there um because it took 10 months of each year to shoot um so we would fly I would fly back I would try to fly back most weekends to see the family and to see my son and you know so that there was a there was a lot of back and forth but um I didn't really sink in um until I we finished uh till we locked down right and, mm-hmm. and and then we and then we still had three episodes owing for flight attendant and then my attention was on okay what's happening with everything's gone a little quiet on the Sabrina world what's happening there and then you know I got the call saying actually that's we're just gonna we're gonna draw a line there and mm. and I and I was like okay um that's fine like you know I've all good things must come to an end. I understand that. That's what this business is. Nothing stays the same and you're constantly moving forward, right? But we all of us felt robbed of that final goodbye. Like had we known mm. we would have we would have been like, I'm gonna look you in the eye and I'm gonna say goodbye properly. Whereas this way it was just like bye. You know, it just mm. it, so that felt like that was that was hard. That was that was the hard bit of it because we'd, you know, made such deep friendships. Oh, that's sad. I'm going to think about that when I watch it. Um, a- another show, which you were just mentioning that you were on, that Callie and I are both very intrigued by, as you say, that Love you have made, is The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. The show is about, you guessed it, a flight attendant who goes <laughs> on a very hot date in Bangkok with a handsome man she meets during a flight. And after getting totally blackout drunk, she wakes up in his hotel room to find him dead beside her. She has no memory of how he died or what happened. I would like to challenge you to tell our listeners a little bit about your mysterious character, Miranda, without any spoilers, and then try to describe to us what your experience was like a little more making this series and having it come out 
at this weird time when like none of like most of us barely even remember air travel. (laughs) Right. Um, well, um, this is a show I'm so proud of. I'm, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it along with you guys as well, you know, in, in real time. We get um, screeners ahead of time, um, but I try not to watch them. <laughs> I, like, I want to I have that experience, like, with the audience. Um, so, uh, again, you know, in the beginning, I really didn't know much. I actually knew less about Miranda than I did about Madam Satan versus Wardwell. Um, I was really in the dark at the beginning with with flight attendant, and um, but I I knew that I I loved Kaylee. I think she's a fucking superstar. She is like if if um, Bridget Bardot and Goldie Hawn ever had a love child, it would be <coughs> Kaylee Coco. Um, she's such a great person as well, and so I. And there was that and also the script, the book, and and just knowing who the uh, creators were behind it, I knew it was going to be something like really classy and something cool, right, to get into. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the thing that the, the challenge I had was that Miranda, for a good while into the series um, from the beginning, is a total enigma. And, you know, part of the fun of her for the audience is that this is sort of thrilling. There's a kind of a kind of thrilling anticipation as to who what who is she? Like, what is she? You know, you just don't know who she is. And and it was I don't think I've ever been talked about as much in a, a, a <laughs> preamble to appearing in anything before as much as I have done on this show. Um so I love being part of that, of course, who doesn't like being talked about incessantly. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of like the nipples in a burlesque show. It's like the slow reveal. Right. Michelle, you're the nipples. You are the nipples. I don't think I've ever been described like that before. So I'm going to love that. <laughs> love that image. Just um, so she's. Yeah, and and it was. Um, I don't know how far into it you've got, but she is kind of yeah. She's 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 dangerous, uh, in a very, in very very uh, physical way. She <laughs> knows how to use her body. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man, it's good. I recommend anybody who hasn't checked it out yet to check it out because it is. You know, I love it. By the end I of the first episode, you need to keep going. It's you fabulous. And the pace and the and the music and the cut and the look of it. And it's just, it's yeah. relentlessly fabulous. Relentlessly fabulous. I really, really like it. I like the, the how the main character, Kelly Coco, is like, she seems so genuine, but she's such a fuck up. She's it's so relatable. She's it is me. She's fab. She's fabulous. And and you know all of that. You know she clearly has a problem, but it's like it's not. You know it's there's no judgment. Like you know she's not. She's not. She's just. Oh, she's just so good. She's cast. She's fabulous. like that funk. I'm also at the same time. I'm watching this. I'm also watching Absolutely Fabulous oh. again. And she's very much like giving me the Adina vibes, like the functioning alcoholic that can get through it. Yeah, and with the comedy. Uh, she is not she is, but funny. Kaylee does something. She does something that's just so authentic as well. Like there's the comedy and there's the lightness of touch. And there's the, you know, she's she's so fucking it's good at all of that. comedy but, about but there's it. There's also like really, it's also heartbreaking as well. There's moments where she really takes your breath away. Her character is just, you know, it's just God love her. She's, it's heartbreaking. And then it's funny, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then it's sexy, I'm, I'm and then it's weird, it. and then it's you know it's just like and the rest of the cast. I mean, Zaja, um, Zaja Mamet, stop right there. She's fucking mm-hmm. phenomenal. Oh my god, Rosie Perez, so please. Deb. Oh my god, Rosie Perez. Give me a, give me a bit of room. I mean, who doesn't love Rosie Perez? Mikael Whitman right. is the sexiest, most talented motherfucker you've ever met. And the other thing is that man plays the piano like a dream. Really? Oh my god. 
and he's and he's goofy and he's a goofy fucker like he doesn't know how handsome he is which makes it it's just like you just have a nice chat with him about a dishwasher you know for 20 that's minutes that's devastating oh he's fabulous <laughs> i would like to know michelle gomez are you a feminist Oh God, I just, I just don't know about these labels. I really don't like labels. I really, I really, I really don't understand what a label is. I really, really don't. And I'm dead set against, you can ask me if I was anything. You can ask me if I was a, I don't know what my political, sexual, social bent is, whatever it might be. And I, I I cannot give you a black and white answer, um, Emily. Mostly, yes. you wanna, probably. You want to hit her with the definition? Well, I I'm I feel confident that you know what a feminist is, but often I find um, that. Do you know what the problem I have with labels right now is that sure. knowing what a feminist is and knowing who I am, I would like to wholeheartedly say that yes, I am a feminist. But do you know what the problem is? Is that Tell this me. podcast will go out and some people won't fully have grasped the understanding of what a feminist is. And I will not be judged by somebody out there that hasn't educated themselves and whatever it is they may be choosing to judge me upon. Whatever you think of me is none of my business. Every day we see this, like... Um our basic tenet, I mean, Emily says this a lot. Uh, Emily, you want to say what the basic tenet well, is? Well, sure. I mean, you absolutely don't need to label yourself, and we are in no way pressuring you to do so. Never. Often, when I ask this question, it's because Bust is a fundamentally feminist magazine, and we have observed over time that feminism has a bit of a PR problem. It does. And yes. that people are are attributing a lot of things to yep. it that aren't necessarily accurate. And so we like to ask people who we admire out in pop culture if they are feminists. And we like to talk a bit more about the definition of feminism and what it means for me when I ask it, what I feel feminism is based on the dictionary is that uh, we, as a feminist, I believe that men and women and, and, and any gender in between should all have equal rights and privileges in society. In addition, I believe that we don't yet have equal rights and privileges in society. And so when I see those disparities in culture, as a feminist, I feel it's my duty to point them out, to magnify them, and to do my best to try to create that parity in the world somehow. Um, that's how I think of feminism. That's how I define it. And I feel personally, like when I ask that question to, to our guests, I want to keep that conversation going because I do feel like feminism has a PR problem yeah. and I would like to fix it. That's where I'm I coming from. I feel like a lot of times people don't get the defini definition of feminism that we hold the definition of feminism as, which is sad. Right. The problem is life, it, it doesn't, it's it's tough. Life is a life is fucking tough. And there is no such thing, right? As we've learned, you know, for generations as perfect or fair or equal. It doesn't exist, right? We we can uh you know, do I agree with everything that you've just said in terms of its, you know, dictionary definition? Yes, of course I do. But life isn't like that, right? And if you'd asked me 10 years ago if I was a feminist, I'd be like, yes, of course I am, absolutely. But, you know, I, I just like, this year hasn't just been about the pandemic. And these past four years haven't just been about Donald Trump. You know, there has been, you know, there's a there's a bigger systemic problem out there that's a, a huge umbrella uh, of of uh, injustices. And, you know, as a female in uh, in the industry that I'm in, you know, f fighting 
to be um, vital, uh, especially at my age, my gender, uh, Hollywood's perception. You know, it's it's there's no such thing as you know fair and equal. It's basic mathematics. It doesn't exist. It's so interesting that you would have been identified as a a feminist 10 years ago, and now you are hesitant because it's probably, I'm guessing, social media. Yeah, it is. Social media has paralyzed us all. uh, And, uh, but, but, and also it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of fucked your, everything your up. Your actual policies and your beliefs haven't changed, so you're still a feminist. Well, Callie, don't make her say yeah. something that she oh, doesn't well, feel comfortable Yeah, I'm not forcing a thing into your, your hand. Well, I, mean, yeah. maybe, I mean, I don't want maybe, to say that. But. Maybe I'm, yeah, so, but you could say... But is that the sum of me? Is no. that is is that what is the, if the, is that what the defines me? me? Is a feminist? I don't think that when I walk out as a feminist, that that's the only thing that I exist as. Okay, well that's great. You know, even I, though I work for a feminist magazine and have for like two almost two decades, that is not like what personifies. Well, you know, I think it's like there. There is also, you know, just to sort of break open the the bigger picture as well to move past the, you know, am I or am I not a feminist question, right? Um, some days, I I don't, you know, like most people, struggle to, you know, really know who who I am, I suppose, you know, because it's because we're constantly evolving and constantly changing and learning. And, you know, there's there's people that have been racked, you know, over the coals um, because of something that they said 10, 15 years ago. And then and you're shocked by what that person said 10, 15 years ago, but they're not that person today. Right, right. And and so you know, I don't know. I just um, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting question, and one which you know is clearly um, has given us a you know a, a lively debate. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. your willingness to engage with us on it. I, yeah, I don't that- feel choked because you're not the first uh, of many that have not fully said they were feminists on this podcast. I might say I'm gay or I might say I'm, you know, I, I have some rubber fetish or I might have, I mean, it's just like, I don't, it's, I just sort of operate, I try to operate on a, I don't know, on a, on a kind of, on on a bandwidth that's, you know, that's purely on an individual level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when it, when it comes to, you know, who, I am and who I see myself as, um, and especially now at this age and this stage in my career and how comfortable I am now with just being who I need to be today uh, for, the, for the small amount of people that I encounter in my life on a day-to-day basis. PR-wise, I get it. Loki, I think you're a feminist Oh, I think I, I should think I am too. <laughs> but I, get I should whole, think I, I get am too. Whole, like, um, it's all about how people do. I do you know what it. Do you know what it does though? Do you know what it does when I, you know, especially when I was reminded of, you know, the exact definition of what a feminist is. It kind of makes me angry, right? That it isn't. Why am I? Why am I getting paid less than him? Yes. Right? Why am I? You know. And and then I'm like, but what do I do with that anger? Like, I, it really does trigger me. Mm. And and then I'm like, I need to, you know, I don't want to be a slave to some 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 external to some external right coming in on my on my day right um, because I just I just don't want to I don't want to be in that game. 
I just don't want to play that game. I get it. Because, because the, you know, it's all about, you know, the man. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to beat the system, right? Not the system, not the whole system. I'm not going to beat it, no. right? Okay, we've been but, trying for years. <laughs> but it's, and, it, and, it's, and it's all about, for me now, if I need to get anything done, if I if I'm trying to achieve anything in my life, and and you know I was a very very different person 15 years ago, right? Almost feral, and in terms of my sociability, accountability, behavior, right? Uh, I would I was like a bull in a china shop, you know. I'd be like I would literally, you know, slap you in the face and think it was funny, mm. right? But now, you know, I I understand it's attraction and not promotion. I understand I don't have to scream and yell to be heard. I don't have to say, this is who I am, right? And then have some fucker judge it, right? I quietly know who I am without a label, Without, I might be, you know, maybe I am a feminist. Maybe I'll call you after this podcast and go, of course I'm a fucking well, feminist. We're going to be but, best friends after this podcast. Yeah, when I meet you, when I meet you <laughs> in New York, I'm going to come, I'm coming for you, right? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, we're, we're, we fucked ourselves at the moment with social media and, you know, well, you know, not just who, at this moment. In long time, it's been hard for us to label ourselves feminists because it gets a bad rap. I don't want a label. I don't want a label. Yeah, and so even though we were obviously a feminist magazine, we would avoid the term feminist a lot of times because people don't want to get labeled. Even though they agree with the concepts and our general ideals, of feminism, they don't want to get stuck in a trope. And that is just reality. Well said, Kelly. Oh, thank well you, ladies. With your sexy voice. Ooh, I love that you like my voice. So good. Uh, I have one final question because I know you have to go, but this is a question that we ask all of our guests. And that final question is what you're watching? And when I say what you're watching, it is a broad pop cultural question. We want to know about books and movies and TV oh, and okay, music okay, okay. and music oh, videos. I love your enthusiasm. And podcasts. Okay, 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 okay. I've got something for you guys. It's fucking unbelievable. What you watching the show? Um, okay, well, first of all, I'm going to start with a book. Um, so this is, um, uh, it's called Shuggy Bane, right? Okay. And it's by Douglas Stewart. Are you taking this down? Because you yeah, should be. We always post it. So, it will be. Yeah, Shuggy Bain by Douglas Stewart. And he's a Scottish writer. He's uh, from Glasgow, from my hometown. But he moved to New York eons ago. And um, he's just written this book. And he's just won the Booker Prize. Mm. Right, it says like he's a new um, writer. He is. I I cannot put it down. I picked it up about two days ago, and I've almost finished it. Is on. It's I. The, oh my god, his writing is astonishing. Um. So that's my a book recommendation. So get picked up immediately. Mm-hmm. Can I spell it? S H U G G I E. That's one word. Bain is B A I N. And it's Douglas Stewart. Okay. Got it. And then, and then I'm watching, um, obviously, The Crown, because it's just fucking phenomenal. And I'm still a Brit at heart. And so that's still intriguing and fun. Fabulous. Late Princess Diana is now in the story, and it's just a killer. And then the next thing, which is one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen on television, apart from the killing, chilling adventures of uh, Sabrina, um, I have never seen... I've never seen television or storytelling or performing in in this. It's so raw. It's so uncomfortable. It's so rubbernecky. It's called I May Destroy Oh, yes. You. Oh, yeah. We had, um, what's her name? Uh, um, uh, yeah. yeah, the girl. Uh, you did? Yeah, she was in Bust. 
I, was she a feminist? Yes. Oh, yes. <gasps> Have you oh. seen her first show? Um, what was it called? I, I like, didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't see uh, it. Chewing gum. Uh, chewing gum. Yeah, chewing, chewing gum, gum is amazing. You have got to watch Chewing Gum. She's a genius. She is a fucking genius. She really is a genius. Her and Phoebe Waller, Waller Bridge, oh, both of them. Oh, Fleabag. You're on the Fleabag? Yeah, just, yeah, just please. Yeah, um, the Chewing Gum you should look at. She is. Yeah, Michaela Cole oh was in Bust when I think she, it was like right before the last season of Chewing Gum, before she made I May Destroy You. Oh, well, thank you so much for doing this interview. The time has flown by, and I've enjoyed speaking with you so much. I can't wait to be best friends with you. You too, guys. So next Wednesday, 12 o'clock next Wednesday, Central Park, I will be there with a soup and a, a half soup and, a, and a, a soup and a sandwich combo. On me. On me. Yes. Yes, we're going to be best friends. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, guys. All right. Good night. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have dockets. We docket. all have a docket. Sex? Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> scams? I'm Caitlin I'm Braddock. Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. We're back. Hello. Callie, we just talked to Michelle Gomez, and I think you guys are our best friends now. Am I right? We Besties, I hope. Oh, man, she, she was amazing. I love her. I want to be her best friend. Best friends. Yeah, homies. I can be her Brooklyn homie. That's right. So, Callie, now's the point in the show where I got to know and I need to know and I simply must know what you're watching. Well, mostly, unfortunately, I've been watched into a really bad horror movie hole on Tubi, which is like a free app. Mm-hmm. And once you start going into the suggested ones, it gets deep. <laughs> I'm really, really shitty. I really enjoyed Ants on a Plane. Ants? Ants on a Plane. Is it like the the sisters of someone's parent or is it like tiny creepy crawlies? Tiny creepy crawly poisonous ants. On a plane. On a plane. With no Samuel L. Jackson, but still, of the of the shitty horror movies, that one was better than, say, Ouija's Halloween Night, which was about a haunted Ouija board that made all your weed turn into party gremlins. Wait, the weed turn into gremlins? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> you would rather have motherfucking ants on a motherfucking plane? I mean, it was so campy. I mean, like random nude women running for no reason from party grandma. I mean, I loved it, but I wouldn't really recommend it to people. <laughs> also, Corona Zombies, which was made right after uh, coronavirus. And there's like one original uh, actress in her house learning about it. She's like a ditzy girl in California. And then the rest of it is uh, overdubs from two old zombie movies. It's terrible. (laughs) It sounds terrible. I mean, at the beginning it was really funny because the overdubs were funny, but then I only made it halfway through because then it got into this jungle zombie movie that was, I I had to stop. (laughs) But I'm deep, deep in the hole and Camillo hates it of the shittiest zombie movies ever. Then I watched Death to 2020 on Netflix. Oh, I heard that was funny. Is it funny? It's really funny. It was really good. It's a mockumentary by the producers of Black Mirror. And so it's like uh, fake interviews with a bunch of celebs. Like there's uh, Hugh Grant, Samuel L. Jackson, Lisa Kudrow, Tracy Ullman. Leslie Jones is amazing in it. And they all play like different types of people like there's scientists who's who grants like a historian tracy ullman is queen elizabeth (laughs) of course she is um and and then it splices the interview fake interview footage with real footage of you know the shit storm of 9-11 uh-huh and it is really really funny leslie jones is i don't know if she's like a psychiatrist or a therapist i forget but um she really hates people and she was really pissed about barrett's nomination to the supreme court and um, she said that she thinks she's secretly bankrolled by a wire hanger company. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Dude. It was hilarious. And then there was like a, this, there was like uh, somebody who was playing like a Karen, a Karen next door. And oh, that was really funny and, and uh, racist, but funny, you know, like acknowledgingly, knowingly being racist. It was hilarious. And mm-hmm. then, um, there was this British lady that was supposed to play like your regular British woman. And she was like, well, since I've been trapped inside of it, got sucked into this really amazing TV show. It's, it's an American TV show called the news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sucked in. And she was like, I thought season one was going to be when the president, their president takes his mask off. And it was such a, uh, after he got COVID. And then I assumed that would be the end and it kept going. <laughs> It was like the best take on on like our politics as like a a really, really terrible TV show, and I loved her part in it. <laughs> and then the last thing I've been watching is the show Utopia on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it came out like right during the pandemic, but it is also a pandemic show, and it didn't mm-hmm. work work out well, and it got canceled because nobody was ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they didn't see this coming. They filmed it in like 2018. It's a take on um, a British, uh, there's like a cult class, classic British show. And it's like these kids, these comic nerds are obsessed with this one comic book, uh, Dystopia. And they find out that there's another, there's a, another comic called Utopia by the same guy. And everybody has different reasons why they want to find this comic book. And then there's also so all these, like, younger kids um, try to get it. One girl thinks it has an answer to some diseases in it. John Cusack is in it. Really? He, now and, I'm interested. <laughs> he runs a pharmaceutical company that also makes a miracle meat that may be killing all these children in the outbreak. Ugh. And then Rain Wilson is in it. He's a scientist. And it's very, very gory. There's this, like, organization that also wants the comic book, and they're just killing everybody in the way. It's great. It is not renewed for season two. (laughs) (laughs) But now I want to find the British one that it's based about. It's not streaming anywhere, but I'm going to stalk it. Maybe it's on Pluto, my favorite free – well, now my favorite free app is Tubi. Yeah, there's a lot of weird shit on Tubi. I second that emotion. Tubi's got the weirdest shit, and I'm in a hole, in a hole (laughs) of of shitty shit shit. What have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. You know, one of the great joys of um, 
doing this show is that people even more than normal are like, hey, you know what you should check out? And sometimes it's annoying if they don't actually know what I like. But (laughs) I was um, Zoom chatting with my friend and frequent bust contributor, Brandy Barber. And she suggested not one, but two things that she thought that I would like. And I really liked both of them. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you know what I like. You know, when someone's like, I know something that you would like. And then it turns out that the thing is very cool. And then you're like, oh, that person must think I'm cool. That's how it felt. (laughs) The first thing is this British band. I cannot believe I didn't know about them before now. They're so 100% up my alley. They were born inside of my alley. They are called... (laughs) Big Joni, and they're a British feminist punk trio from London. And they've been around since 2013. I've never heard of them. They totally remind me of my former band, Royal Pink. Um, They are three women of color, and um, one of them plays guitar and sings, and then another one plays the bass and sings, and then the third girl plays drums and sings, and the drummer plays standing up, wearing fantastic outfits, and her beats are on point. I love her Do you think she started in a marching band? I don't know. (laughs) That's my guess. guess. If you learn to drum standing up, perhaps it's marching band. You know, like they're, they kind of And no shade on marching band. I love elaborate marching bands. Yeah, they're just all three of them are like out front, you know what I mean? Because they're all fucking fabulous and amazing. And um, they all look like they should read Bust if they don't already. And um, they did this just recently. Well, they started in 2013. They've been playing all around. They um, were supporting Slater Kinney on their show at the beginning of like right before the pandemic. They were opening for Slater Kinney, like in February. Well, I was never that big in Slater Kinney, but I still feel like I should know this band. Oh man, and and then like over the during the the break times, they've been signed to Jack White's Third Man Records, and they did a cover of Solange's Cranes in the Sky, Ooh. and you can see it on YouTube. It's really good, and they're really good. And I very much appreciate Brandy Barber for turning me on to Big Joni because I've just been listening to Big Joni all the time and they're so good. Okay. The second thing that Brandy Barber turned me on to is this show on IFC called Sherman's Showcase. Have you heard of it? No. Me neither. Like it just came out last summer and they did like an hour long Black History Month spectacular. And it's so weird. It's very meta. It's like... The structure of it is, is they pretend like Sherman's showcase, they pretend is like a fictional show that was like Soul Train. Oh, okay. That was like back in the day for many, many years, according to like the mythology of this show. And so then they use the plot of saying that like the show is a paid infomercial to sell a 23 disc set of 47 seasons of Sherman showcase introduced by different celebrity hosts. So then like you have people impersonating celebrities who are pretending to sell a fictional TV show. That's like soul train and showing different clips from it. So that is what I have been watching except of course for the majestic pop tarts, Patreon page, Callie, I don't know if you saw today, right before we got on the microphone, we got a new Patreon subscriber and I was so excited. I was like, hooray, yay. And I rang my own bell. Ding, ding. I love it. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I was watching um, Tubi, so no, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> we really need all of your help to keep Bust alive. And hopefully you all will be excited by the goodies that we've hooked up for Pop-Tarts listeners at patreon.com slash Pop-Tarts podcast. Callie and I, with help from Team Bust, have been typing up show notes exclusively for Patreon donors that include links to what everyone has been watching for all of our episodes. We're almost to our 100th episode. I think this one is either 98 or 99. We're almost there. And um, we've got show notes for every single one that includes what everybody's been watching, links to all the shows and movies and 
and uh, books and everything that everybody's been watching for every show. We've got it all hooked up in the show notes section for Patreon subscribers. We've also got ad-free episodes and exclusive content, like our amazing episode with Big Frida. Oh, my God. Callie, did yes, you see that yes, Big Frida is hosting yeah. the New Year's Eve? Well, New- Big Frida is going to be the New Orleans correspondent for New Year's Eve. So now I'm going to be with the homie Big Frida at Virtuosity. I love it. And there's there's more. There's um, other incentives like care packages from us, Zoom chats with us, thank you notes from us, all kinds of things um, from us to you at patreon.com slash Podcast if you decide to be our sponsor, and we really hope that you do. And at this point, I would like to say a big thank you. Um, first to you, Callie, for for being my ride or die homie on this show for another great year. I can't believe it's been, this has been a wild ride. It really has. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And thank you to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. <sighs> Muy caliente, Logan. And of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine, who I haven't seen since March and who I miss very much. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you cannot find Callie on the socials, so don't try. You can email us both. I'm at Emily Rems at bus.com. I'm Callie W at bus.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out, and we super-duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.